Um, so we're finishing off our last episode in this series of Facing Yourself. So would you with me, turning your Bibles to Philippians chapter 4, verse 4, a well-known passage to us all. And actually, if you wouldn't mind, can we read this together out loud? And let's start in verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, Whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is anything excellent, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Amen. Have a great day, everybody. See you later. Right? How could we ever even top that explanation right there? It's beautiful to think about joy. And we finish rightly so in this seven-part series because everything we've been talking about, the emotional health, going beneath the surface, Dealing with the broken and vulnerability of who we are. Dealing with grief. Looking at the past pains. All of these things lead us to a place and it should be joy. I'll ask you a question this morning. What's the vision for your spirituality? What is the vision where you want to be at the end of your life? Have you ever thought about that spiritually where you want to be at the end of your days? Something I think about and something I want to cultivate. I want to be a joyful, peaceful old man. I want to be that guy that says, you know, Johnny, that English guy that's still around here, hasn't lost his accent, but he's really joyful. I like how joyful he is. I love how peaceful he is. Isn't it interesting when he walks in the room and he's old, he should be bitter because the church, bitter old people, right? Like, Why has he got so much joy? What does he know that I don't? I have that vision for my life that everything I want to bring about is joy. And Jesus even says this in John 15 in verse... Sorry, my iPad decided to switch off on me. Turn back on, please. Technology, right? Here we go. John 15, 10, 11 says this. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. These things... These things that I've taught you, these commandments, this way of living as Jesus, abiding in the vine, all of this, I've spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be partially full, acceptable, just enough. No, joy that is full, and that word full means overflowing. Do you have that joy this morning? Mara, thank you. And she truly, truly does. Mara will appear in my sermon at some point, no doubt, because she is the embodiment of joy. And I love you, Mara, and I really appreciate that about you. Yes, and say yes and amen. This is a joyful church, amen? 
And so we have this viewpoint. But do you think or do you believe that God sees you joyfully? So God is the most joyful being in the whole of the universe. Do you believe that? God is the most radically joyful, fun person to be around. And do you see that way that God sees you as joyfully? Do you see yourself as joyful? Maybe just take a moment just to reflect. How do I see myself? How's my joy tank right now? Is it a 10? Am I uber joyful? Or am I burnt out? Do I feel like I'm on my last legs, that I'm just getting by, and I just don't feel any joy whatsoever. It's interesting that we all experience joy differently, and actually, even scientists believe that we all are wired with different levels of joy, and that's not an excuse whatsoever, but there is a reality that some people are just more joyful, right? You walk into a room, and there are just people that you're just like, the room has just lit up, joy has entered the room. And for some other people, when they enter the room, there's a different story. And we won't spend much time on that. But there are different levels of what we release into atmospheres. We're wired for joy, but there are different levels of that. But joy is not found in the external. And there's this study that was done on a group of people that had just won the lottery. Big time cash flow. And then another group who had become paraplegic. So they had lost all their limbs. They did a study of the joy. Now, obviously, at the first glance, joy rocketed in the one group and devastated in the other group. But they followed this group for six months and both returned to their pre-existing joy. In fact, actually unknown to them, the paraplegic group actually had more cases of increase of joy because of the value of life that they found in and through their circumstances, that they were more thankful for life. And they found at the end of the study that only 10%, they believe, of joy comes from the external. And actually 90% of our joy comes from within. It's less about making your life look good. It's more about making yourself good. This is the principle. We've known this as spirituality, right? We're just yes and amening what this scripture tells us, that there is very little joy to find by making your world look good and rather going beneath the surface, doing the work and letting God love you in a radical way, receiving his goodness, and that through that shaping we become a joyful presence. I love this quote from uh, John Piper. Great definition of what Christian joy is. Christian joy is a good feeling in the soul produced by the Holy Spirit as he causes us to see the beauty of Christ in the Word and in the world. Let's just take that apart. Christian joy is a good feeling. It's not an idea, not a conviction. It's not a persuasive thing or a decision. It is a feeling. Joy is a feeling. It's an emotion that you cannot turn off or on. Have you tried to control your emotions in that way? When there is something coming towards you that you don't want, you try and switch off that emotion and be like, I'm okay. I'm feeling okay. When a circumstance comes crashing into your world and you try and turn that emotion off, you cannot control your emotions. And joy is that emotion as well. It's something that's in your soul. It's in your soul. 
And I love the word soul. Bible Project have a, a great video on the soul if you can watch, and it's called the nephesh in Hebrew. The nephesh for a soul means your throat. It's an interesting word, isn't it? Nephesh, throat. That's what it means because your soul is not some airy, fairy, mystical thing. In fact, your soul is the glue which brings together your mind, which is your will and your emotions. Your soul is your body and your spirit all combined together. And it is the glue which brings your body together. So in this, we are meaning that your joy is part of your whole being. You can't just be joyful in mind. You have to be joyful in body. There is a holistic approach to joy. And it's by the Holy Spirit. It's a fruit of the Spirit. It is a fruit of the kingdom of God. Isn't that good that the Holy Spirit's fruit within inside of you, that you know that the Holy Spirit is abiding inside of you, that you are love, you are joy, you are peace, and all the others. That peace is the second in the list. God is a God of love, but He is also a God of joy. And I don't think the church does a great job at representing that, right? If I'm honest, on a Sunday morning, I'm like, where is the joy? <laughs> we sit in the service and we're just like, that preacher and no discrimination to other preachers. And myself even, maybe I'm not joyful enough either. But they don't look like they've received the salvation of earth, that they are the happiest beings on the planet, right? That more often than not, we're just like, how can we just get through this time together? I know I've got to do it for religious practice. It makes me feel good. But can we just get on and moving? So joy is from the Spirit. I love how it finishes as well, that to see joy in the Word, which is Jesus, and for His creation and people around. That joy is not self-fulfilling. A lot of times that we say, man, I just want to be joyful. And what we're meaning by that is I want to feel joy in my existence. I want to look at my world and be joyful. And actually, that's not how joy works. Joy leads us to a greater love and understanding of the Word and who Jesus is, and a greater joy to the external things around us. That's why the conflict happens. So often, I just want to be happy, and God loves for you to be happy. But actually, you will find your happiness in the external things of His world and His Word than what your happiness of what you perceive the world and the Word to be. God wants his way in your life, not your way. There are three things that I feel that cap your joy. And with Joe's help, I managed to find the comparison. I had some words. And I always love to lean out to people and say, look, how can I make this memorable? So let's talk about cap. What caps your joy? Comparison is the greatest thief of joy. Seeing what others have and you wanting it, um, we would be a lot more joyful, right, if we didn't compare our lives with other people. If you weren't doing this so much all the time, and it hurts my neck just constantly doing this, but can you imagine your soul is doing exactly the same thing? Your soul is being wrecked as we're constantly looking for what she's wearing or what he has or who he is or what the world says is to be successful. And we're constantly being pulled left and right, left and right to what success is, to what life is. And we are comparing ourselves and stealing the joy because God gave you a purpose. Amen? God made you unique. There is no other person like you. They're all taken. You be you. You do you is the word that everyone seems to be throwing out there at the moment. 
You have a purpose and a calling in life. And the comparison is stealing your joy. Apathy. A lot of times we think that if I just don't care, I'll experience joy in my life. If I just keep on just existing and just don't care too much about anything, don't put my hopes in anything, that if I just live in an apathetic way, that I will experience joy. If I just exist, the right things are going to come into my world, right? If I just be and I don't care, the right thing, the right joy will just come into my life because I found in life, if I just don't care, I can experience this fake kind of joy. That's another one. And third, position. This is interesting. In Scripture, it says, there is, in the presence of God, there is fullness of joy. In the presence of God, there is fullness of joy. In the present, there is fullness of joy. I don't know about you, but for me, my position is not present. Some of you may be the past pains, the past sufferings, the past what-ifs, or how could I change that? You're so living in the past that you can never experience the present is where the joy is. Joy is found in the present. And so we need to move away from the past. But if you're anything like me, I'm always living in the future. I'm already thinking about the things I need to get done today. What does the week look like? And I find it so hard to be present. But I find a fake joy in that, right? Because if I'm always wishing about the future joys... If I'm always wishing about one day when we get that house or one day when I have this amount of money or one day when I have this amount of influence or one day when I have these kind of friends, right? When we have those future joys, we think, then I'll be happy. But joy is found in the present. In His presence is fullness of joy. And so we, as Christians, have to be proactive in taking hold of joy. You don't just let joy happen to you. You need to position yourself to be present. You have to focus yourself on the good things of what He has for us. And so I want to go back to this passage together, Philippians 4, and just take it apart today. It says this in verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. It's a command from Paul. And do we remember where Paul is writing this letter from? On the beach, reclining in the chair, enjoying the good life? No. He's in the prison. He's in a dark, small room, lack of food, chained. He's all anything but joy. And anything that we would consider joyful, if external realities are the joys that we try and seek and find, he has no joy. Yet Philippians, he is all about joy. I mean, he talks about joy, but he focuses in a lot in his, pre- in his prison, in the suffering. It's amazing, isn't it? That he commands us to be joyful. And I think as Christians, we want to be joyful, right? It's not like we're not wanting to be joyful. So how can we even do that? How can we bring about this new life? Because we can't will joy. You can't just suddenly start going, I'm going to be joyful today. I'm going to endure. I'm going to be joyful today. You can't self-talk yourself into joy because it's an emotion. Joy is an emotion which you've all discovered you cannot control. 
And if it's an emotion, we cannot will it, switch it on or off when we want it to be. But we don't have to be enslaved to joy either. Sorry, to our emotions. We don't have to be enslaved to our emotions either. And so Paul is about to give us two aspects about the mind, but also about the body and how two together combined bring about joy in our lives. And so if we go into the scripture here in verse 6 together, do not be anxious about anything. Do not be anxious about anything. Don't have any cares. Be carefree is what the King James says. Be carefree as a person. Comes back to our rest. Last week we talked about the heart of rest, trusting in the Father. It comes back to the idea that we cannot control our outcomes. In fact, if you just go to the next slide there, it's the mind of joy is to surrender control. Now, I can say this phrase, and we can say, well, yeah, no, I believe that God is in control of my life. A pandemic kind of shifted that thought process, right? I suddenly realized that actually I have far more control on my life, and I don't like when it's out of control. I don't like when I don't have all my ducks in a row. I don't like it when I can't just go to the store when I want to or buy the toiletries that I need to because someone's already bought them all. I can't, I hate the idea of not knowing what tomorrow brings. I saw Americans freak out over the lack of freedom that they felt. And granted, freedom is awesome, it is godly, and I believe for it. But I saw some unhealthy reactions towards the idea of when our freedom got limited, when control was released from who we are, and we started to freak out. It's interesting that nothing can take the love of Christ from us, nor height, nor depth, nor angels, nor demons. Even if we go from heaven or hell, God's love is experienced in all of this. God is with us and we can never be without him. And in Matthew 6, he talks about it. Anxieties, cast your anxieties. Be anxious for nothing, he says in Scripture. He says, even if, um, doesn't God clothe the lilies? Doesn't he provide for the birds? Doesn't he know that everything that you need... God knows what you need and what you want. God has it in hand. And so for us as Christians, we have got to surrender control. We've got to surrender control of the outcomes. Now, I'm preaching to myself because always on a Sunday morning, I want it to be a good experience for everybody. I want people to feel and experience God in the best possible way. And technology is always against me. There is always something, the live streams failed today. And so I have to surrender control every day to God that the outcomes are not in my control, that I am not God. I think we play God more than we realize because when things don't go our way, I mean, it's okay to get angry. It's okay to feel frustrated. But if you want to live a life of joy, you've got to surrender your control on the outcomes of life. You've got to detach yourself from them. Not be present, you've still got to be present, but if it doesn't work out. And this in ourselves, right? As young parents, even I think about my children, right? I've got them and I can control them at the moment. 
But I know as they get older, as they begin to age, that I'm going to lose more and more control. And will I continue to have the joy? Will I continue to have the joy? I think this is a good, uh, if this is my vision, I'm sharing my vision for my life, you can hold me accountable to that. Johnny, you said you wanted to be the most joyful person, and you've got teenagers now, and you ain't anything but joyful. (laughs) Right? Can we hold each other accountable to that for me? But it's interesting that he doesn't just say about being joyful and just being carefree. No, he attaches that to something. We go back to verse 6. Don't be anxious about anything, so don't be carefree. But, this is the important, buts are always important. Big, small, buts. In everything, by prayer and supplication. This is the difference right here that we talk about. This is where apathy can come in. If we're just carefree that I don't care anything, nihilism is what it's called. I don't care about this world or whatever happens. And we can experience a kind of joy. I'm carefree. We see all kind of like the hippie kind of style. Um, People who just want to live carefree don't care about this world. But that is not true joy. Freedom is true joy. Freedom is an experience of knowing what has given you that freedom. What has given you that hold. And so this is where he attaches prayer and supplication. Biblical freedom is saying, I know that there is a high authority. I know that I can be carefree because God is God and I am not. I don't have to worry. It's not an empathetic kind of like just whatever life brings, akuna matata kind of idea, right? To quote the prophet, uh, what's the pig's name? Pumba, thank you very much. The prophet Pumba. Carefree does not look like whatever happens, whatever will be, will be. That is not joy. That is not biblical joy. Joy is to know the circumstance, to see it for what it is, but to know that there is a higher power, an eternal life that we have to look forward to here and now. It's beautiful. And so it carries on if we carry on going back to verse 6 there. It says this, so in everything... You know, don't be anxious for anything because everything, give it to God. Give your burdens to God. Pray and bring thanksgiving into it. So this is the mindset that we're to have. We're to release control. We're to be people who uh, give this to God, but with the mind of thanksgiving. With the mind of thanksgiving. Work gratitude into your being. People who are thankful are the most joyful beings. And I do want to highlight uh, Mara again. I always enjoy it. You know, uh, for the Shlinsky family, they've lost a lot over the last couple of years. Think about JJ. I think about the life in that. I think about Mara as a person, and she is just someone who is always joyful to me. Mara's been through a lot. The family's been through a lot in life. But yet, she is always, whenever I was saying, how are you doing? She goes, oh, John. I can't do your voice very well, so I won't even try. <laughs> Um, I'm thankful, is what she says. I'm thankful. And that has always just been such a beautiful representation to me of how we as Christians should be. Life is going to be difficult. We're not guaranteed joy. There will always be sufferings on our worlds. But if we have an attitude that gives thanks, we can be the most joyful beings. Let's carry on here. In verse 8, it says this, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. 
Focus your attention. So we've got surrender. We've got give thanks. And we've got focus. Focus on these things. What we give our attention to, we become. We know that, right? As much as that parent that you don't want to be like, yet you focus on them and you become the very thing that you don't want to be. Because what you focus on, you become. I love this. N.T. Wright has this great quote about verse 8. And he says this. The command in verse 8 is to think about all the wonderful and lovely things listed here that runs directly opposite to the habits of the mind instilled by the use of the modern media. Think about your phone. You have all sorts of different re-envisioning in your life. This is an old quote. So you can implant the modern media there. Read the newspapers. Their stock trade is anything that is untrue, unholy, unjust, impure, ugly, of ill repute, vicious and blameworthy. Is that the true representation of God's good and beautiful world? The media telling you the worst four things every single day, pummeling you over and over again with the worst news possible. Is that a true representation of God's good and beautiful world? No. How are you going to celebrate the goodness of the Creator if you feed your mind only on the place in the world which humans have made ugly? How are you going to take steps to fill your mind instead of all the things that God has given to us legitimately pleased with and to enjoy and celebrate? Joy is seeing the world rightly, which we need to cultivate. We need to focus our viewpoint on the goodness of God and how easy it is with this device. Every second of the day, a simple scroll right now, my team is losing in England. It's the last day of the Premier League soccer. I know you don't care, but I care. And as I'm preaching, I'm getting notifications of us losing. And it doesn't feel good. But that's just even on the surface. Because if we're honest, when we start to see the pains and the sufferings, and I don't want to live in this fantasy world where we just think that everything's good, remember. Like, I want us to share the, the pain and suffering, but yet at the same time envision ourselves of a God who is in control. And if you just fill yourself every single day with what's bad and ugly about this world, you will represent and see that way. There will be no way joy can come into your body. We have got to re-envision ourselves around Scripture. We've got to re-envision ourselves around the goodness. Get outside. Get outside and enjoy God's creation. There is nothing better right now. I love, um, during my week, what I try to do during between shifts of work and uh, maybe like a project or something I'm doing. I take 15 minutes and I walk down to the stream down here and I just be for five minutes. I just listen to the birds. I just listen to the stream. And I am reminded that there is a God and the world that is still revolving even though mine is spinning out of chaos. And I remind myself of the good things that God has for us. That He is still in control. No matter what my news feed says, no matter what that person has started to moan about again. And that's why I think it's important for us to focus our attention on the good things of Washington. Or your land. Or your work. If you hate your work, what are you focusing on? If you hate what you do, what are you allowing to be your focus? 
Is it just another thing to receive a paycheck? Or is your focus that I get to be, this is my ministry. I get to see renewal, heaven on earth, in my industry, in my workspace, with my work colleagues. What is your focus? Focus on the good. But Paul cleverly does not leave it there. Because we are not just mind, right? Remember, the soul is the attachment of the mind and the spirit. It is your whole being. And he shifts into the body. In verse 9, he says, Whatever you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. In other words, put your body into motion. Practice celebration. Practice joy. That's what we want to do next week. We want to practice celebration. We want to have tacos. I'm still working on. I want to say tacos. I still want to say tacos. Tacos. And um, we want to say, it sounds weird as well. See, it just doesn't work for me. We want to celebrate together goodness because in a pandemic, I want to be countercultural. For some, it's a really difficult season, and I get that. But there's something about faith that when we choose to praise amongst our circumstances, things shift. Perspectives come. And I want us to be a church that we enjoy going to. Me and Rach always have that pulse. Do you enjoy being part of this church? Because there were times where we did not enjoy even being here and we were serving here. And we were like, stop. We've got to change that. What are we doing to make it too stressful? What are we doing to make it too much in our lives? What is your focus about this community? Do you enjoy coming to this community? Or is it just a laborsome kind of like, here's Sunday, better go to church? Is joy found in this space? Do you find joy in this space? Richard Foster says this, God has established a created order of full excellent and good things. And it flows naturally that as we give our attention, our focus to these things, we will be happy. That is God's appointed way to joy. If we think we will have joy only by praying and singing psalms, we are delusioned. It's a good honest reply. If we only think, if we only live in the confession of words, we will be delusioned if joy is to be manifested in our lives. But if we live lives with simple good things, constantly thanking God for them, we will be joyful, and that is full of joy. So if we focus our mind on joy, we must also move our body into action. We are temples of God. So simply put this way, set your mind on joy and move your body into joy also. Just a quick seven-list thing of what we can do with your body today. And the first one is rest. Have you guys got a Sabbath plan today to rest? Young parents, do you have that window to rest today in the sun and enjoy God? I think for many of us, if we just rested, if we actually slept through the night with all the anxieties that we have to deal with, all the things of our strain and burdens upon our lives, if we just rested, put our body into motion and rested, I bet we would be more joyful people. Music. I love music. Um, best thing I have is uh, stealing off my brother's Spotify account. I'm ashamed to say that, borrowing his account. And, uh, and I listen to music. I just love listening to music. My children who love music, they all listen to music before they go to bed. 
just, they, they need music. And there's something about the rhythm, there's something about joyful music that changes atmospheres. That when we're going to a party, I like to listen to party music. I like to celebrate. I like to get myself uh, amped up, ready to go. Rachel, not so much. And that's okay. We have differences right there. But sometimes we want the chill. But sometimes if we just have music in our life, laughter. When's the last time you laughed? Like truly belly laughed where your face hurt, tears coming down your face, you were laughing. When was the last time? Can I give you a depressing fact? Children laugh on average 400 times a day and adults laugh 15 times a day. Some of you only laugh once a day. And there you have it. You have your one for the day. Congratulations. You have crushed and won the day. Laughter. Isn't it good to laugh in church? You know, we want to create space for all the meaningful things as well for the suffering, but we've got to be joyful at the same time. Storytelling, and we don't have time for this, but I was hoping that we could do it. But storytelling. What's your testimony? What's your story that you tell? When you go to weddings, we don't talk too much about Scripture. And more and more weddings I go to, they don't have any Scripture. But one thing you will always find is stories. The best man's story, as funny as it is. And they always tell stories of how the couple came about. Stories and laughter is filled in that moment. We are story animals. We love consuming different stories. Do you have a different story to tell the world about your life? Do you have a different story that is countercultural to the way the life is right now? For us, we need to tell a better story. And so I encourage you today to tell your story to someone. Tell your testimony. I can tell you a few of my own quickly. Um, when I was growing up as a teenager, I discovered I had mild scoliosis, which means a curvature of the spine. I was a teenager at the time. And we were in a teenage connect group. And I simply had my friends pray for my back. They prayed for my back. I went back to the next appointment and they showed the same x-ray and my spine was perfect. And the doctors were just like, what, what just happened? I said, God, got to pray. As a teenager, I had that story. I've seen crazy things. I've seen a leg grow. I don't have the realms of understanding of what that is, but I know that God does the impossible. I've seen my daughter who had infantile spasm, that when we prayed for her, when they got her through the checks at the children's hospital, they were seeing all the kind of spasms, the, um, what's the word? Thank you so much again. This is so helpful. Thank you, guys. Seizures, seizures, and she was having these seizures, and they caught the last one on record, and then she never had another one after that. It was amazing to see the power of prayer as we just worshiped. And I was holding her arm with all these things over her head. And there's pictures online. We've got it. We're celebrating almost five years. Uh, yeah, more than five years now of her just complete healing, radical healing. She is smart. She is feisty. She is strong. And she is all sorts of stuff. And so I cannot work out sometimes. I don't like to confess this, but she's either going to make the world or break it. She is just strong, strong. And I love her. She is unique and wonderful. But God is good, and we need to remind the stories of healings and miraculous works. There is just the, count, the constant story that I have of God's good provision for me. He has provided for me every step of the way. I have never gone without, and he has always looked after me. He's actually stopped me from getting things that I really wanted that weren't good for me either. Can we talk about that this morning? The things that you wanted that you know that were new, no good for you. 
There are stories that we need to tell. Holidays, celebrations. Have you got a joyful friend in your life? Do you have good friends? Do you have that one friend that you know that when you get around them, there is just joy that just bubbles out of them? Have you hung out with that friend lately? Have you been with that friend that just brings joy to you? In your marriages, do you have joy? Greater challenge right there. Because they get to see you all the time, right? Are you looking and focusing and finding joy in that person? Are you finding joy in your family and a good meal with friends? We took communion today, and originally it was called the Feast of Agape, the Feast of Love. And as Rick rightly pointed out, the cracker all packaged up is not a feast. It doesn't feel much like a good thing. But how much do we need to have a good meal with friends? How much more do we need to purpose ourselves today? And so I just challenge you today, what is your focus today? Where is your mind going? What is your attention on? Is joy something that you're cultivating, being intentional about, changing the way that you see your world? When the pain and things start to come, when you start to get irritable, when your children will not listen to you, when you've told them the tenth time to do something, will you begin to bring thanksgiving into your mind? Will you posture your body today to rest, to have fun to be joyful today. Will you come next Sunday to be joyful together in community? It's a 30-minute service. I don't preach. It's a joyful thing that's happening. We get to celebrate together. I just think it would be a beautiful picture in the moment of suffering just to say, God, we are a joyful people. We are countercultural. We have a different story to tell. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the joy that goes beyond understanding. It is not a joy, it is not, a, it is not something that is of this world. But Lord, that you have cultivated in us to tell a different story because Holy Spirit, you are joy. You are joy. And so God, I just pray for minds, anxieties, depressions that fill our existence. God, would we choose in this moment to reorientate the way we are. We might not be able to control our emotions, but we can control what we think on, and what we think on impacts our emotions. God, I pray for those who suffer with just constant noise in their minds, the constant voices of the pains of the past. God, I just pray for peace to come and invade minds right now. God, would you remind us that you've got us? Would you remind us that you're enough? Because you're enough, we're enough. We have that truth today that the very Savior of the world, the God of the universe, came in embodiment and knew the sufferings that we knew. He was tempted by the same things and overcame them. You know the things that we go through. And you sent your Spirit to dwell inside of us. How much closer can you even get when you are inside of us dwelling? And so, God, we just live upon that truth today. God, would we be purposeful in joy today? Would we action our bodies into joy? In Jesus' name, amen.